You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. I'm not going to say that. Anyways, no, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'll do my best to stand in the light so you can somewhat see me, but irrelevant. Um, I'm excited. In fact, I was uh, kind of just mentally preparing. Um, coming off last Sunday, we were talking about the panel, and I had this idea. The Lord had kind of whispered something to me a while back, the word offering. And I kept hearing that word offering. And so uh, one of the things that we were very particular about is we take up a tithe, but we don't take up an offering. And so I thought, okay, Lord, I'll share about what an offering is. And so as I started studying it, I realized that the Lord wasn't leading me to that direction at all. It had nothing so much to do with money. Now, an offering can be money, but let me say this. The Lord never starts with what you have. He always starts with what he has. He never expects you to give something until he's first given something to you. Does that make sense? When it came to Abraham, uh, God said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a great nation. And the Bible says after the moment that God told that to Abraham, he, his family and everything he had, they left. Abraham had a lot. But when God called him, he said, I'm not going to ask anything from you until I've first given you something. So then I said, "Okay, well, Lord, you want to talk about an offering? You want to talk about money? But again, the more I studied, I found that that wasn't the direction the Lord was leading me at all. In fact, again, the Lord was saying, I want you to put my eyes on the offering. And so what happened was this. My my first instinct was to go to Ephesians chapter five. I want to say Ephesians five, two. And Paul, I think it's in Ephesians five, two. I could be wrong. But in Ephesians, Paul says this. be tender-hearted, loving and kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then he says, as dearly loved children, imitate God, uh, imitate Christ who gave himself as an offering. I'm sorry, who gave himself as a sacrifice and an offering, a sweet smelling aroma to God. Now, it's very interesting because to me, an offering and a sacrifice, they're, te- they're technically one and the same. Jesus offered himself. He was a sacrifice for us. But Paul makes a clear distinction. There is a difference. Jesus gave himself up as a sacrifice and as an offering. So that tells me there's something here to find. And so, again, I heard the Lord say offering, so I went down the path of an offering. Most of us know what a sacrifice is, so we won't go down, we won't go down that trail this morning. But this morning, we're going to talk about an offering. In fact, did you know that in Leviticus, does anyone know how many offerings are mentioned in the book of Leviticus? Five offerings. And keep in mind, what does the number five represent? Grace. It takes five offerings to depict the one offering that Jesus made for all of us at the cross. It wasn't enough to say one offering can encompass everything Jesus did. No, it takes five. So knowing that, again, it made me more excited because that told me I don't have to plan for the next couple weeks. No, I'm just joking. I love you. No, I felt the Lord say, take your time and go through this. So this morning, guess what we're going to do? We're going to start our brand new series, The Five Offerings of Leviticus. Thank you. I'm so excited. I think you're going to love it. I think you're going to be blessed by it. Uh, because don't forget, you are never going to be transformed by me telling you how to live. You are never going to be transformed by me telling you what to do and what not to do. We are always going to be transformed when we look at Jesus. That's the secret. And we have it. Thank you, Jesus. So this morning, if you were looking for something to do, you're at the wrong place. But if you're looking for someone to see, you're not going to see me. So let's look at Jesus. But before we come to the offerings in Leviticus, I want to show you something. 
in John chapter 1, and I want to start where we're all comfortable, where we're all, uh, where most of us have been. And I want to make sure we're all on the same page. And let me say this. It is vitally, uh, it is crucial. It is so important to start from the new covenant. If you're not careful, people tend to read the old covenant and they say, well, I understand grace. And they just pick up in the old covenant. And before they know it, they're already talking about the do's and don'ts of Christianity. They're talking about if you don't, then God won't. And if the moment you step into that arena, you are in the wrong place. You've arrived at the wrong revelation. And everyone said, <laughs> no, we must start from the new covenant. We are under a new covenant. We must start in the new covenant. So let's pick up in the new covenant. In John chapter 1, verse 15, the apostle John says this. John, talking about John the Baptist, bore witness of Jesus. And this is not the same John who's writing this. This is John, Jesus' cousin. He says, John bore witness of Jesus and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Say grace for grace. grace. Notice he does not say of his fullness we have all received good works for grace. Notice it does not say that. He says, the way you begin receiving is by what? Grace. And the way you finish receiving is how? By grace. The only way you'll ever receive from God is by grace. So out of his fullness, not out of his, uh, 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 of the momentary need, he says, no, God never responds to you out of what you need in the moment. God always sees your need and says, let me give you my fullness. And the beauty of the fullness is this. You don't even need some of the things that God wants to give you, but he wants to give you the fullness of his grace. So when you receive, you never receive some, you never receive just what you need. Stop believing that you're going to get the prayer you asked for. Believe that when you ask, not only will you receive what you asked for, but you're going to receive so much more on the back end of it. Because right here he says, of his fullness. We have all received grace for grace. I love it. Then he says, for the law was given through Moses. And don't, let's not forget, let's just go ahead and establish this at the beginning. Most of us know this already. But the word grace means unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. So how do you begin receiving? Not by doing, but just by receiving. <laughs> right? If you start with grace, not doing anything, don't try to end by doing something. We have to start with grace. We also end with grace. In the book of Colossians, Paul said this. They were struggling because... People had come in and started judging them for what they were studying. They were looking at the Old Testament and they were picking all these amazing pictures. And the Apostle Paul said, let me tell you, everyone around you who's judging you, they're only judging you because you won't pick up the Ten Commandments like the church in Galatians did. Right? He said, they're judging you, but let no one judge you for what you're studying in Christ. And he goes on to say this, the weapon that the enemy is using is God's own law. And God disarmed Satan when he nailed the Ten Commandments to the cross. You are doing well. Keep studying Christ. (laughs) He says all that in Colossians chapter 2. That's Matthew's paraphrase version. But anyways, he goes on to say this. Hey, you're doing great. Stay in grace. And then he says this in the same book. As you receive Christ, therefore continue in him. How did you receive Jesus? What did you do to receive Christ? Let me ask you, church, what did you do to receive Christ? Hmm? What did you do? Did we ask you to, to renounce all your sin? If someone did when you receive Christ, don't worry, we'll have an altar call at the end, a real one, all right? <laughs> I'm serious. When you receive Christ, what did you do? You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. No one said anything about renounce, denounce, run, turn. Let me say this. When you are in love with Christ, that moment you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts taking all the desires. He starts working the desires out. He just starts working it out of you. And some of us, it happens overnight. Some of us, it happens over time. 
But let me say this. It took Abraham 40 years to be 100% obedient. It took Nicodemus almost three and a half years to find himself on his knees at the cross where Jesus was. Some of us is overnight. But for the rest of us, like me, it takes time. <laughs> so don't judge. And everyone said, <laughs> right? hallelujah. So anyways, how do we get there? Of his fullness, we've all received grace for grace. He says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, again, I've been studying some Greek. I'm no, I'm no Greek scholar by far. And I shared this about two weeks ago. But right here, when you, if you understand Greek, uh, the, the way the structure, the, sentence, the way the Greek structure of sentences worked. He says, for the law was given through Moses. One thing was given through one person. The law, Moses is the noun. The law came through Moses. But then he says, but grace and truth, it looks like two different things. But if you understand the Greek, the word came through in the Greek means is not that these two things came separately or they came side by side. It actually means grace and truth are one and the same. They came through Jesus Christ. Moses was the servant. Jesus was the son. People who still insist on doing something for God to bless them. You're trying to live like a servant. But the rest of us who say, no, we will receive because he loves us. We are acting like sons. And God doesn't need more servants. He wants more sons. And everyone said. So then you come to verse 18. He says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father. He has declared him. Now, I love this, this phrase right here in verse 18. And I put this here for a reason. He says, no one has seen God at any time. No one. The only begotten son. Who is in the bosom is, is present tense. That's where he was. That's where he is at that moment. And that's where he will always be. He is always in God's heart. Always in God's heart. Now look at this. This is the uh, amplified translation of the same exact verse. And the amplified, he says, no man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten son who is in the bosom in the intimate presence of the father. He has declared him. He has revealed him and brought him out where we, I'm sorry, where he can be seen. As long as God was behind the veil, no one knew what God was like. But right here, Jesus has interpreted him and has made him known. Mm, I love that. You see, before we come to Leviticus, you have to understand when you look at Jesus, you're seeing God. I love the image. You know, Jesus is the son of God. But Jesus said this on the night of his betrayal. They said, Jesus, show us the father. Show us the father. And he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. I and the father are one. The father's in me and I am in the father. And then he goes on to pray, father, as you and I are one, may they be in me. And also may you be in them as we are one. May they be one like we are that the world may know that you have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus wants to do something you so, I mean, so beautifully, so awesome that, you know what? It has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with him. That when the world looks at you, they say, you have to be a son of God. There's no way you cannot be. There's no way you cannot not be a son of God or a daughter of God. You have to be. Anyways, I love that. So he goes on one more time. He says, Jesus, in the Amplified, he says in the gold, in the uh, second gold one, he says, Jesus has interpreted him and has made him known. So again, if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. Now, when, you, when you're looking at Jesus, let me say this. Most people come to church because we need something from the Lord. And let me say this. There is nothing wrong with that. Jesus came to be used. Can we say that? Jesus came to be used. He did not come just to be looked at. Yes, we look at him and yes, we are transformed when we look. But if you come to church, see him and never let him work for you. Let me say this. You've missed the point. Jesus came to be used. He came to serve. He came to heal. He came to deliver. He came to be a savior. He came to be used. 
So then the question in the church and the question that Paul was dealing with 2,000 years ago and the same question that we're still dealing with to this day. How do we let him work for us? How do we use Jesus to our advantage? Now, we know that it all works by grace. But let me say this. There was a movement that happened around the time I was born. And I know I talk a lot about the Word of Faith movement. I'm not against the Word of Faith movement. In fact, there's a lot to be learned. And I still, every once in a while, I'll go back and pick up a book from some of the great pillars of the, of the Word of Faith movement. Great men of God, like Kenneth Hagin, you know? Some of the great men. Every once in a while, I'll pick up a book from them, and I just, I love to pick up what they, what they were uh, gleaning back then. Some things that we've forgotten and some things that we just built on and moved on. But I love it. So I'm not against it. But let me say this. There was a movement back then that, at the time, the grace of God was not so clear. The grace of God was not so understood. So what happened was this. When God would move in, in, in Florida, everyone in New York would fly down to Florida. When God would move in California, everyone would fly over to California. When God would move in, I don't know, Canada, everyone would fly to Canada. You get my point? Everyone was constantly moving. Wherever God is moving, that's where we want to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. If God is moving, I want to be present. I make the joke all the time, but let me say this. If Joseph Prince comes to Charlotte, I am going to be there. <laughs> if you want to come with me, you can come with me. But there's just, you know, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's something about the grace of God that you realize, where, where is Jesus right now? He's in the heart of God. On one hand, you can pursue what God is doing, or you can pursue his heart. Are you with me? Again, during the Word of Faith movement, there was a, a, a strong push to say wherever God is, that's where we must be. Smith Wigglesworth, who lived years before the Word of Faith movement, was one of the, uh, the fathers of faith. Same thing, whenever he would have a healing meeting, people would flock to those meetings. But again, grace was not so understood. So if you wanted God to heal you, you had to be at that meeting. But now that grace is being more uh, understood, what we're realizing is you don't have to be at a geographical location. I can watch the minister on TV. I can listen to the pastor on the podcast. I can sit right here in Charlotte, North Carolina at home and the Holy Spirit can move on me with the same amount of power. Because he doesn't move because of what I'm doing. He moves because of what Jesus did. So again, you can pursue what God is doing or you can pursue his heart. And let me say this. If you will pursue his heart, you'll always get his hand on the following. Are you with me? In fact, look at this in Psalm. I want to say Psalm 103. Look at verse six. Psalm 103. David said, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. If you are oppressed, God will execute justice for you. If somebody's coming against you, make no mistake about it. God himself will execute justice for you. And everyone said, then in verse 7, it says, he made known his ways, say his ways. His ways to Moses and say his acts. His acts to the children of Israel. Now again, verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. That means his ways and his acts are two different things. Now again, when you're talking about his ways, let me say this. There's something about knowing his ways that Moses, as a leader, he knew God's ways. But the children of Israel, at a distance, they saw what God was doing. There's nothing wrong with saying, I want to be where the Holy Spirit is moving with power. Nothing wrong with that. But there's something else that comes when a person says, I know God's ways. I know how God wants to move. Jesus wasn't looking for God's for God to move. Jesus was God's ways in action. Everywhere Jesus was, Jesus said, I only do what the Father, what I first see the Father do. In other words, when I see God move, that's when I move. You want to know where God's going to move next? Look at what he's doing and follow what he's doing in that moment. Again, it's different. Some people said, where is Jesus? Let's run to him. But now on this side of the cross, it's not, where is the, where is that last, where did that last person get healed at? Where, where was it? Now it's, if God is moving, he wants to move for me as well. Again, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. 
Now you say, well, Matthew, how do you know the difference? Like I said before, every time there is a treasure, there's always a key somewhere close by. Would you like to know the key? It's in the very next verse. The Lord is merciful and. Oh, come on. One more time. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Now, on the surface, I can just say that and I can move on. But I love to give everything. I love to give you a foundation for everything we say. Is that okay? I never want to give you something and you just take my word for it. Is that all right? If Moses knew God's ways and the children of Israel knew God's acts, and verse 8 says the Lord is merciful and gracious, how can we prove that this is true? Because I want to know God's ways. And I want you to know God's ways. When you're at work tomorrow morning, I want you to know God's ways. Next time you're at the doctor and you get a bad report, I want you to know God's ways. Whatever you're going through in life, my prayer for all of you, just you, not everyone else in Charlotte, just you, is that you would know God's ways. And your children would see that you know God's ways and follow you. In fact, God told Abraham this. He said, I have known you that you may rule your house. I love that. I love that. My prayer for everyone in here this morning is may... May the Lord know you so that your children will follow you. And everyone said, and for those who don't have children yet, they said, there we go. (laughs) Now, again, I want to give you a foundation for this. How do we know this? Now, I I know I'm probably moving kind of quickly, a little faster than I normally would, but I'm coming to Leviticus. I want to show you the offerings. Okay, so watch this. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses is at Mount Sinai. In fact, I'm sorry, in Exodus 19, God says, Moses, come up, and I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. All right? When Moses goes up, the Bible says after 40 days of being in God's presence, God gives him the Ten Commandments, and then he starts talking about his son for 40 days. I love it. You want to know what's in a person's heart? Jesus said, out of your heart, your mouth. You want to know what's in God's heart? God had Moses for 40 days. Moses was only supposed to come up, get Ten Commandments, and go back down. But when God had Moses, he had a captive audience. He said, let me tell you about my son. And for 40 days, God didn't stop talking. (laughs) You want to know what's in God's heart? Jesus is in God's heart. After 40 days, he looks at Moses and says, Moses, I hear the sound of someone. I hear the sound of the people. It's not good. You need to go back. Moses turns around and says, I hear the sound of victory, but no one should be fighting a battle. He goes back down the mountain, meets Joshua on the way down and finds out they're worshiping a golden calf. What was the first thing they heard God say from Mount Sinai? Thou shalt not have any other what before me? The very first commandment they broke. You insist on God blessing you by what you do. You're going to fail the moment you insist on it. That's why, look, let me say this. You're better off not knowing the difference between right and wrong. You're better off knowing what's beneficial and what's not. The Apostle Paul said all things are lawful, but not everything is beneficial. You can do everything. But let me say this. Every, not everything is good for you. <laughs> not everything is good for you. Stop asking, is this sin? Is this? No, no, no. Is it beneficial? That's the safe bet. <laughs> all right. You're so quiet. And everyone said, there we go. There we are. Right. You still with me? So anyways, uh, he goes back down the mountain and he breaks the Ten Commandments before he comes down. And 3000 people die that day. The letter kills. The letter kills. But the spirit gives life. After 3000 people die, God calls Moses back up. But when Moses is on his way back up, he says this. Oh, Lord, please, I know that the people made a huge mistake, and I know you're probably fed up with this at this point. In fact, his last words to the people were this. I'm going to go back up the mountain, and maybe I can make atonement for you. There's no real guarantee. So he goes back up, and he says, please, don't take your presence from us, because if you take your presence from us, we'll be like everyone else in the world. And the Lord said, fine, Moses, I won't take my presence. You have found grace in my eyes. So come back up. I'll give you another set of Ten Commandments. 
But on his way up there, Moses said, oh God, watch this. Verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Verse 18. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Now I put that in gold because I want you to see what God's answer is. I really want you to see this. Verse 19. Then the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Now watch this. Oh, I love this. Moses says, God, show me your glory. If I see your glory, I know that I will stand out above everyone else. No one on the face of the earth will be like me. So he's kind of being selfish in this moment. Show me your glory, Lord. You know, have you ever seen that song, uh, Show Me Your Glory? Jesus Culture did that song years ago. I love that song. They're not the originators. They steal everyone else's music, but they do it well. I love it. <laughs> we'll cut that out. I'm not singing that song. I will not sing that for you this morning. I almost did it. No, but the point I'm trying to make is this. He says, show me your glory. If you show me your glory, I'll be different from everyone else. All right. Your glory will make me different from everyone else. And what's the Lord's response? All right. You want my glory? This is what I'll do. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll be compassion. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He says, but you can't see my face. My favorite verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. You see, the son can never, I'm sorry, the servant can never see God's face. But when you are in the son, he never hides his face from you. As long as the servant is in the house, God stands behind a veil. But the moment Moses, the servant, steps out, Jesus steps in, we all get to see God's face. Mm. Are you ready to see the glory of the Lord? Would you like to see the glory of the Lord? Watch this. Skip ahead. Well, let's keep going. Then we'll pick up in the very next chapter. I'm going to show you the glory. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand as I, I'm sorry, while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The servant can only see the back of God, but the son gets to see the face. God will never turn his back on you. So watch this. Moses comes up to the mountain. He's ready. Okay, this is the moment. He stands in the cleft and Jesus gets ready to pass by him. It says, now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Are you ready for the glory? Here's the glory of the Lord. And the Lord passed by him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. (laughs) What did we see in Psalm? Moses knew his ways. What are God's ways? Merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. What is the glory of the Lord that shines on you? His mercy and his grace. His mercy and grace. You see, again, we say this all the time, but I love saying it in the old. And I I love saying it because I didn't hear this from anyone else. I got this for myself. All right. In the Old Testament, they had the mercy seat. Mercy means I don't get what I deserve. All right. You come to God, say, Lord, I've been, I made a lot of mistakes. Please don't give me what I deserve. And at the mercy seat, he withholds judgment. Are you with me? But now on this side of the cross, because of the cross, because your sin has actually been put away, not atoned. See, atonement means covered, but now your sin has been put away. Now we come boldly to the throne of what? That we might receive mercy. Don't give what you deserve. And Grace, meaning what? Not only am I not going to give you what you deserve, but now I'm going to give you what you haven't earned. Mm. I got that for myself years ago, so I love it. 
Now skip ahead to verse 10. And he said, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among you who are, who, I'm sorry, all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do to you. Notice Moses gets his ways, mercy, grace. The people get the what? The works, the acts. (laughs) Don't be like the people. We say, I just want to chase whatever God's doing. Don't be like them. You have God's heart. His hand will always follow his heart. Now, let me say this because I don't like to pick things out of context. Verse 7 to verse 10, he goes on to say this. I forgive, but I will hold your sin to the third, fourth generation. Now, how do you reconcile the two? Don't forget, Jesus died and broke the generational curse for all of us. In another passage through the mouth of a prophet, I think Isaiah, I think it was Isaiah or Jeremiah, I can't remember, one of the two. God says this, no more will they say the sins of the father will be judged on their sons and on their children, on their children's children. He says, no more will they eat sour grapes and the children suffer for what their parents did. He says, the day is coming, that day will be no more. Translation, I will no longer hold the sins of the father against the sons. Are you with me? So I took out verse 7 to verse 10 for that reason alone. Jesus broke the generational curse. What your parents struggle with, you will not in the name of Jesus. And what you struggle with, your children will not in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I feel like I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry. Am I talking fast? Okay, good. So again, he says this, all the people who shall see the work of the Lord. Now let me show you something really cool. In Isaiah 60, why is the glory so important? And I'm coming to Leviticus 5. I just want to make sure we lay a good foundation. Leviticus 5, and I won't spend a lot of time in Leviticus when we get there because we've taken a nice trail. All right. Isaiah 60, God says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. If you have your Bible, you you don't have to do it. Go home and read verse 4 all the way through to verse 7. It's amazing. What happens when God's glory shines on you? He talks about your children. He talks about gold and silver. He talks about your influence, your wealth, your health. He says all these things will pursue you. And all of it stems from verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Now again, when you have the glory of the Lord, and let me say this, you have the glory of the Lord because you have received from his fullness grace for grace, favor for favor, unmerited favor for unmerited favor. Because you have his grace, you are shining with the glory of the Lord. And there's nothing for you to do. Do you know how you, know, do you, do you, know how you actually shine? Do you know how it works? The high priest... As the high priest comes into the presence of God, he has stones on his chest with your name engraved on it. In other words, you're engraved on his heart. But because the stone, all right, uh, the gold is behind the stone that's on the high priest's breastplate, the closer he comes to the glory of God, all the light that shines, when it shines on him, the stones illuminate. In other words, the closer Jesus gets to God, the brighter you will shine. Now, where is Jesus at today? At the right hand of God, right? At his right hand, that's where you are. That means there's nothing for you to do to shine. There is no hidden secret. How to shine with the glory of God. All you have to do is be more rooted and established in his love for you. Because that's where your name is engraved. And the more you are rooted and grounded in his love for you, you will shine with the glory of the Lord. But watch this. The word arise right here, I looked it up. The word arise is the word kumi in the Hebrew. Kumi. Or actually the word Yeah, the word kumi in the Aramaic. Now, 
Some of you might remember, but you might not. Do you remember when Jesus was at Jairus's house? When he walked in Jairus's house, there was a girl who was 12 years old and she was dead. Remember? And when he stood over the girl, the Bible says he looked at her and said, Talita kumi. Talita kumi. Same word right here. Arise, shine. Now, what does that mean? The first time the word kumi in the Aramaic appears in the New Testament, when Jesus looked at her and said, arise, talita kumi. Talit is the prayer shawl. So literally he would have said, little girl under my prayer shawl, arise, kumi. Meaning, how does the glory, how does God's glory cause you to rise up? When God's glory shines on you, you will rise. How does it work? The talit is a picture of his righteousness. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But the more you declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, you will rise in whatever situation you're in. And everyone said, amen. I love that. Oh, man, I'm like so ahead of myself. I should not have even told you that. All right. So are you ready for Leviticus? Let me show you Leviticus and we will uh, close with this Leviticus. We're on the down end of this short Sunday. Was it short? How long? Irrelevant. I will say, as, as we were preparing the podcast, I see how long the sermons are. And I thought the sermons went from like 35 minutes to 45 to 56 minutes. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel so bad for you. I feel bad. Stephen said, let's get back to 30. I would have a vote, but you might break my heart if you raise your hand. So Leviticus chapter one. Now, I want to take our time. We're just going to go through Leviticus chapter one to verse nine. And we'll close with this. But I'm telling you, I hope you are blessed. When it comes to the the offerings in Leviticus, let me say this. Again, there are five different offerings. And just for the record, since we're starting our series this Monday, I'll tell you all five. The first one is the burnt offering. The second one is the meal or grain offering. The third one is the peace offering. The fourth is the sin offering. And the fifth is the trespass offering. Again, burnt, grain or meal, peace, sin, trespass. Now, of all five offerings, only three of them are what God calls free will offerings. In other words, there's no obligation to give these offerings. None whatsoever. These are called free will offerings. All right. Um, again, I'm getting way ahead of myself and I'll give you that secret at the end. But he calls them free will offerings. I'll come back to that. But the other two are not free will offerings. Now, the reason why it's so important to understand the difference is this. What Jesus did was propelled primarily by his love for you. Meaning, Jesus didn't have to do it, but he did it because he loves you. The other two offerings are not free will. So when you look at the first three, you look at the burnt, the grain, and the peace. Keep in mind, it's what Jesus did because he loves you. When you look at the sin and the trespass offering, you're looking at God saying, justice must be done for you, so I'll pay it for you. Jesus and God are one and the same, yes, but The picture that God shows you right here is, on one hand, I'm doing it because I love you. On the other hand, the other two, I'm doing it because I have no choice. I have to. Justice for you. All right. Now, we'll get to the other two later on uh, in the future. But this morning, we're just going to look at the burnt offering. Just that one. All right. Now, we look at the burnt offering again. The very first offering mentioned is the burnt. In the Hebrew, the word burnt offering, burnt is the word olah. Can you say olah? Olah. Olah literally means to ascend an ascension. So the burnt offering is a picture of something that ascends. It goes up to God. And the Jews believe that this is the greatest of all the five offerings because it uh, makes your, uh, it causes your spirit man to ascend up. Now again, it's a Jewish tradition. They say it causes your, your spiritual life to ascend up to God. So God mentions this one as the first one. Do you know that before God instituted all five offerings, Abraham took Isaac up the mountain and he was going to have a burnt offering? Do you know that Solomon on the eve 
of God telling him on the night before, I'm sorry, the night of God coming to him in a dream and saying, ask me whatever you want. I'll give you whatever you ask for. That same night, Solomon offered 1,000 burnt offerings. Olah offerings. Are you with me? So God values the burnt offering. He values it very much. All right. So let's look at this. In Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. Let me, let me point this out real quick. Notice what it says. No, no detail is here by chance. The Lord called to Moses. It could have just said God spoke to Moses saying, comma, verse 2. But notice where did God call to Moses from? From the tabernacle. You know, the first time God spoke to Moses, where was he at? He was in a mountain in a burning bush. In a burning bush. And the first time he spoke to Moses, he said this, take off your shoes. Meaning what? You will not redeem my people. You can't. You're a servant, but you can't redeem. And the message he gave Moses from the bush was, I'm coming to save my people. The first time God spoke to Jesus that we see recorded, the first time God spoke to Jesus, John, out of his own mouth, said, I can't untie his shoes. I can't untie his shoes. He is the one who will redeem. The servant could not redeem. He took his shoes off. Jesus will redeem. He keeps his shoes on. The first word that God spoke to Jesus when he came out of the water was, this is my beloved son. The first word to Moses, the servant, you're not worthy enough to redeem, but I'll send you anyways to say to, to be a servant. God's first words to Jesus were, you are the son that I love and I am so pleased in you. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> oh, I love it. The second time God spoke to Moses was on Mount Sinai from something. Yes, he spoke to Moses while he was in Egypt, but the second time he spoke from something to Moses was at Mount Sinai from the cloud. When he spoke to Moses from the cloud, he said this, Moses, tell the people to stand back. In other words, I want to redeem them, but now there has to be someone between me and them. They have to be pushed away from me. This is the third time we see God speak to Moses from something. Now he's speaking from the tabernacle. Do you know, even though we're in a school, we are the tabernacle of God. We are the house of God. So what you see in Leviticus right here, yes, it's under the law. But don't forget, God conceals things for us to see. It's the glory of God to hide something. It's the glory of kings, you and me, to search that out. Are you with me? So what do you see right here? When God spoke to him from the tabernacle, literally what we're seeing the Lord say for us today is this. I'm speaking from my house to you. What is he saying for all of us? Are you ready to see Christ? Mm, I'm excited. <laughs> Anyways, the Lord called to Moses and said, spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. Now, why, why must it come from the herd and from the flock? Because Jesus could not come from heaven and just die. He had to come and be one of us, like us. He had to be like us. God said, I don't want you to think that your Savior has no idea what, it, what it's like to be human. No, he's going to come down. He's going to experience everything you experience, all your urges, all those temptations, everything you went through in life. Jesus is going to go through all of it. And I'm going to take him from you and he will be the victor. <laughs> and as he wins, his victory will become yours. So he must come from the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice, an Allah sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will. And I put that in gold, of his own free will. And I'll show you why that's important in just a moment. Of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting from before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Now, I love Joseph Prince for teaching me this one. Most of you have already seen this, so we won't spend too much time on this. But keep in mind, whenever the sacrifice is brought... We're going to use my, my nice uh, podium here as the picture of the sacrifice. Whenever the sacrifice is brought, if my sacrifice is a bull, all right, the, the, the sinner, the one who, who's coming for the sacrifice, he puts his hand on the head 
of the sacrifice. Are you with me? And what happens is this. To the Jews, they understand. By putting my hand on the head of it, all my sin is being transferred into the sacrifice. But at the same time my sin goes in, all the purity, all the perfection, all the righteousness of the sacrifice comes into me. Are you with me? And watch this. And he shall kill the bull before the Lord, not the priest. The priest doesn't do it. He wants the sinner to do it. Stop pointing at other people. Stop judging other people. Who put Jesus at the cross? We did. God says when the sinner comes, he's to put his hand here. The purity of the lamb comes into him and all his sin goes into the lamb. The lamb who didn't deserve it will take it for you. And in that moment, the priest gives him a knife and he takes a knife and he cuts the throat of the lamb and all the blood pours into a bowl. Who is responsible for the death of the lamb? Not the priest, the sinner. Who's responsible for Jesus at the cross? Me, you, all of us were. That's why when you walk out of here, God gives grace to the humble. Grace makes you humble. Then God gives you more favor for being humble. (laughs) He rewards you for what he causes you to be. (laughs) I love it. Now, again, let me point this out. The priest doesn't inspect the sinner. He knows why the sinner is here. He inspects the lamb. God is not saying, come to church so I can look at all your failures. Come to church so I can tell you how you did it wrong. Come to church so I can tell you how to do it right. He says, I know why you're here. You need me. I know why you're here. So don't look at yourself. Look at the lamb. That's why John said, behold, the lamb of God, not who's coming to make atonement, but behold, the lamb of God, who's coming to be the burnt offering for you. And in that offering, he will remove sin forever. In Hebrews, we don't need more. We just needed the one. And that one was good enough for now and for all eternity. And notice, what do you carry from this? His righteousness. He carries your sin. Now watch this. Verse 6, and he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Now this is the only offering where the entire sacrifice is put on the altar. The skin is not, but the whole body of the animal is put on the altar. In verse 7 he says this, the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash his entrails and his legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And now let me close with this. When you look at the offering, you can read the rest of Leviticus 1 for yourself. He goes on right after this verse in verse 10. He says, if it's a bull, this is how you treat it. If it's a lamb, this is how you treat it. And if it's a dove, this is how you treat it. Why three different versions of the same thing? Because the upper class could afford a bull. Middle class could afford a lamb. Lower class could probably barely afford a dove or a pigeon, whatever. Okay, a bird. So God says this, whatever financial class you're in, bring according to what you can afford. Now, let me say this by the grace of God. The greater your understanding of what Jesus did for you, if you have a huge appreciation for the cross, you're like upper class. May your finances reflect your perception. And everyone said, all right. Now, what's the difference between a bull, a lamb, and a dove? If you look very closely, and I'm not going to show you all the verses, like I said, I'm going to close with this. If you look closely, he says, with the blood of the bull, pour it on all corners of the altar. When it comes to the lamb, take the blood, pour it on this side, this side, and that side of the altar. When it comes to the dove, there's not even enough blood to pour on the altar. He says, just sprinkle it. And that's all you have to do. What is the difference between the three? The amount of blood. What does that tell us? How powerful is Jesus' blood to you? 
that determines if you will be upper class, middle class, or lower class. Do you see the blood of Christ covering you for all eternity? Then you're like a bull, upper class. Do you see the blood of Jesus covering you from the time you received Christ and now until your next time you ask him to forgive you? Uh, you know, I forgot to ask God, forgive me again. You're like middle class. The blood can work only if you apply it in your mind, perception, right? Or do you see Jesus only forgiving you to the time you said, Jesus, please forgive me. And everything else, you're just begging God the rest of the way. You're like a dove. There's not enough blood to sprinkle everywhere else. Just enough blood to get by. Now, let me say this. Whether you're upper, upper, middle, or lower class, every single one, he says this, is offered up as a sweet aroma to me. Whether you have a clear, truthful perception or not, it's still a sweet aroma to me. The blood of Jesus is all I need. I don't need the entire, all the blood. I just needed one drop. One drop was enough to save the entire universe. But he didn't just shed one drop. He shed his blood seven times all the way there. And then at the cross, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit so that we can stand in the light. In darkness, he said, my God, so that in the light we can say, my father. I love it. Now, let me close with this fourth closing. <laughs> let me close with this. I said it earlier. Why is a free will offering so important? Did you know that the first three offerings, the burnt the peace, I'm sorry, the burnt, the grain offering or meal offering and the peace offering are the only ones he says are a sweet aroma, but they're also the ones he calls free will offerings. Do you know why free will is so important? Because as far as God is concerned, you don't, there's no obligation to offer this offering from a sinner's perspective. In the book of Numbers, I think Numbers 28, if I'm not mistaken, God says the same burnt offering, the priest will offer it once a year on the day of atonement. At the beginning of the Jewish New Year, this is the offering that they will make. They will bring the offering in. The whole thing will be burnt. It will be skinned and the whole animal will be burnt for the people. And it will make atonement for them. He says, but for the sinner, for all of us, for the regular people, he says this. You can bring this offering as much as you want. It's a free will offering. That means you can say out loud, I am the righteousness of God as much as you want. And every time you say, I am the righteousness of God, it's like putting your hand on that sacrifice and saying, that mistake I just did, that also was transferred to you. That also was transferred to you. And as soon as you get ready to walk away, you have a bad thought. Hold on, hold on, come back, come back. That also was transferred to you. When you walked in and said, Matthew looks funny this morning, that also was transferred to you. All right. When you had a bad thought, that also was transferred to you. Every time you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, you are effectively putting your hand on that sacrifice. And what happens? What's this offering called? The Allah, the ascension. It causes you to arise. What did he say? Arise, shine, for your light has come. The more you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, it's like putting your hand on that and God causes you to shine. How do you do that? You just keep saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ and God causes you to shine. You see how easy it is? For them, they had to have an animal according to their finances. For us, God says, from my fullness you have received. You won't even pay for it. This will be the Lamb of God coming for you. <clears throat> I love it. <laughs> and again, how many times can you do it? As much as you want. Solomon made a thousand that night. God said, I'm impressed. What do you want? <laughs> I'm impressed. Whatever, whatever you want. And I've said this before, and I'll say this. What made Solomon safe for success? When I was a kid and I heard that story, I said, all Solomon said was, God, give me wisdom. And God made him a billionaire. As soon as I went home that night, I said, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Now, it didn't happen for me. Some of you might have done the same. 
But years ago, I started asking the Lord, the more I understood grace, I said, Lord, what was the secret? How did he do that? And I'll never forget. This is God's my witness. I'll never forget. He took me to the verse right before where it says he offered a thousand burnt offerings. And straight away, the Lord said this. He had a big perception, a big appreciation for what my son did. And he said this, the greater your appreciation for what Jesus did, the safer you will be for success. I can ask Solomon, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. I can tell him, whatever you want, I'll give it to you because he was safe for success. But what made him safe for all of that? You see, for some of us, money would destroy us, but he loves you too much to give it to you. (laughs) He loves you too much to give you too much. So he says, I'll give it to you as you can take it. But what made Solomon safe for it? He had a great appreciation for the Ola offering. And everyone said, have you been blessed? We got four more. So we'll go through it. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word and for your truth. And Jesus, we thank you for the offering that you made for us. This morning, Jesus, I thank you again. You made a free will offering for us. No obligation from the Father whatsoever, but you did it for us. So this morning, Jesus, I thank you for... I uh, thank you for making a payment that you didn't have to make. This morning, with everyone's head bowed, no one looking around, if you're here this morning, I'm going to do something different. If you're here this morning, and you would say, I feel like I am uh, kind of going through a cloud. I feel like I'm going through some uh, a dark place right now. Life is normally not like this. It, for some reason, it's been a little darker than it normally is. If you're here this morning, and you're saying, I could really use the light of God to shine on this and cause the glory of God to manifest on me. If you would, just, just lift your hand right where you're at right now. Again, with no one looking around. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So let's do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray, but I want you to say it out under your breath in just a moment. But I'll tell you when to say it. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, I just thank you for the Allah offering. I thank you for the ability to say that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And I thank you, Father, that this church, we will never take it for granted. That that simple statement is all we need to execute, all we need to do for your glory to manifest on us. So this morning, Father, we're going to be honest. We're going to just be truthful. And from our own hearts, we want to declare what's going on in our life. If you would, just under your own breath, if it's a person, just say their name. If it's a situation, just say it. But Father, I thank you that you hear us right now. You hear our hearts. And even more than that, Father, more than you hearing us, I thank you that you saw it long before we got here. Long before we arrived here, you saw it. And Father, whatever dark area it might seem like we're going through, I thank you that it's only the valley of the shadow. It's not really death. It's only the valley of it. The valley of the shadow of death, Father. And so right now, Father, I thank you that your rod and your staff are comforting everyone in here right now. In the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that your glory is shining on everyone in here. In the name of Jesus. I thank you that your glory is arising within everyone in here. In the name of Jesus. Father, as your word declares in Isaiah 60, that kings, Gentiles, people will be drawn to the glory that is rising on us. I thank you, Father, that 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 is being truthful. That is true for everyone here in the name of Jesus. Father, that as we walk out of this place declaring we are your righteousness in this earth, I thank you that men will begin to give into everyone in here. Father, I thank you that people will begin to go out of their way to make things happen. Father, I thank you that your favor will continue to open doors that we never even asked for. And Father, I thank you again that your glory is shining on everyone in here. And this morning, Father, whatever situation we might be faced with, this morning we commit it into your hands. We commit it into your hands. And we thank you that the offering has been made on our behalf. A sweet-smelling aroma to you for us. And we thank you for, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Everyone said? Amen. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.